With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Better sleep means a better you. That's why Mattress Firm stands behind the rest assured promise. Featuring the best mattresses from America's top rated brands like the Temper Breeze Collection. And save up to $500 on premium adjustable mattress sets. Plus, get a $300 instant gift with your purchase good towards sleep accessories. Shop Tempur-Pedic, Stearns & Foster and more with our sleep experts today to get your best sleep only at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. Visit mattressfirm.com for complete details. Ese último McNugget me toca a mí porque soy la mayor. ¿Y eso qué tiene que ver? Los mayores se respetan. Eso no existe, ¿cierto, mamá? Ya, quédense tranquilas. Aquí hay otra cajita de McNuggets. Respeto, ¿viste? El no hay rivalidad cuando hay McNuggets deal. Hay un deal para cada salida familiar en McDonald's. Compra uno de tus favoritos, como unos McNuggets de 10 piezas, una Big Mac, una Quarter Pounder with Cheese o un filet fish y te llevas otro por un dólar. Por tiempo limitado, precios y participación pueden variar. Válido para un producto de igual o menor valor. Good evening and welcome along to the club of a, of a Monday night, going out on a Tuesday. Um, the club, of course, is brought at the moment with the Pitch Sport Football fan app. Giving the fans a voice, uh, get your free download in the App Store on the Google Play Store. We have got a sort of reduced crew tonight because Dave Thomas wasn't allowed to get onto his laptop and somebody took it off him. Uh, but joining me, I've got Pete all the way from Barcelona, uh, wearing um, a top with no arms. If you were watching this on camera, you'd be frightened by the guns that are on the show here. He's wearing some knocked off... Adi Hash version of a Colombian jersey or something like that. I don't, I, I'm guessing what it is. And in the with the camera off because it's upside down is my good friend and colleague, old football and colleague, uh, Damo Flood. We were going since tonight. We're going to have a chat about the return of the Premier League and um, briefly in terms of the been, lads being allowed to go back training again, and also look at who was the greatest striker of the 1990s. So I had to get suitably old enough people who would remember football in the 1990s and are aware that football existed before 2010 right so lads um thanks for coming on p how are we getting on not too bad not too bad. and this is colombian was bought in bogota my wife is colombian she is going to kill you <laughs> so if i dip that in a solution will i be able to get a big bag of happiness out of your jersey <laughs> <laughs> don't don't tell anyone, but that's how we get it home. Yeah, <laughs> absolute classic. His wife boys, my wife beater. <laughs> wife beater talk. Mister Floyd, got a long time now here. How's things, buddy? It's, it's been a while, already. Yeah, I haven't been hot just in a, in a while. I'm busy. Keep the head down. Do you know what? Because we keep winning matches, there's nothing really to talk about, is there? Me and you are absolutely the worst moaniest people in the world and my winner matches, so we've nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Bring back Lucas. 
Did <laughs> <laughs> you see it, was, see it was his birthday or something recently? It's like they're going, will you ever give over? Like we're, we're, we're talking about the greatest Liverpool team of all time, and we're bringing up lads who uh, who 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 literally played for a team when they couldn't finish above seventh in the league. Like forget about I, I, it. Forget I, I'll it. tell you what. Yeah. I'll tell you that game. You, you probably kind of celebrated his birthday, and then we lost our first game of the season the next day after. <laughs> he, 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 he's just he's just like just a bad penny. <laughs> <laughs> the hex. Listen, yeah. you lads. Right, so um, over the last 24 hours, we have had a bit of news. So before we, k- we kick into the best striker of the we have had a bit of news. So obviously, they've cancelled the season in Scotland um, and they went on a points-per-game basis and Hearts got relegated um, and Celtic have been declared champions. So it also in League 2, they've cancelled the season because they said they can't afford the testing for the teams. Um, they've decided who's going to be promoted in the first two spots. They've held off on relegation for the moment because I think only two go down and Berry obviously had, were pulled before the league started, so there's only one candidate to go down as such. Um, and then the rest are going to be done on a playoff basis. So it looks like both the Championship and the Premiership are now scheduled to come back. And based on today's... Um, Based on today's news, the Premier League teams are back training as of tomorrow. So, Damo, your point of view, is this incredibly positive news or are they just rushing it and hoping to get a resolution of it? Um, well, let's just go on to the Scotland thing first. Um, they should cancel the Scottish League just forever. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> What's the point anymore? What's the point, what's the point of that league? <laughs> It's a waste. Just just give Celtic a trophy that he just win every year and let everybody else play. That's what you need to do. But uh, yeah, it's a big positive. I, I never thought that the Premier League would not come back. And mm. I've always felt that there's too much money involved in probably the Premier League with sponsorship deals and television deals. Um, like the, the people that put that money in aren't going to walk away from it and, and, and just let it go into the ether. Uh, so I always thought that the Premier League would come back in some some form. Um, so yeah, it, it's great that, that it's back. I think we're getting to the stage now where like, the testing can be done a lot quicker, especially at high level games and, and with clubs, they can get things mm-hmm. done very quickly. Um, like I know it's completely different, but like a lot of the building sites are back working and they're testing guys' temperatures coming into the sites and all. So I don't see what you can't do with that football and just let the games go on. But I was watching a German game the other day and I had to laugh. There was a guy playing uh, for Dortmund, I think it was, and he played for 70 minutes. In the midst of midfield, having a good hearty battle in there, and they took him off in the seventieth minute, and they handed him a face mask. <laughs> What's the point? You know, he's just been out there with twenty-two, whatever, like sweating and running around, and he has to put a face mask on when he comes off and sits on the bench. Look, <laughs> 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 like, believe what you are actually thinking here, like, you know. What I, mean? I know. I I think the whole face mask thing. It's more so about solidarity with the people who are just going about their day to day lives, and they, they they're trying to reinforce. They're trying to normalize face masks in European society. Like if you look at what's happened in 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 Asia since SARS broke out in the early nineties, where fa- where face mask where is normalized on say um, enclosed spaces where there's high volumes of people or on public transport. I think that it's a it's a push across Europe for Europeans to adopt this. And I actually think the only way supporters get back into stadiums is if there is um, masks worn in stadiums because it's the only way they're going to spread, stop the spread of any disease. And we're talking about flu, not just not just coronavirus, but flu and colds and stuff like this. Like you can still scream and shout your head off with a mask on you. It's not it's not stopping you from enjoying it. And if it means that you can get fans back into the stadiums, I'm all for it. Um, Pete, thoughts on the return of of potential training in the Premier League? I also want to ask you, right, so there was a, one of the big, big um, 
false uh, or white elephants that, that the, t- the teams in the relegation zones are trying to show up. All the testing that has to go on to get them there. Um, and in reality, the testing is like the testing is being paid for by private clubs. They aren't going to be taking away tests from the NHS or from people on uh, the n- normal public. Like it's the amount of white elephants that have been shown up to try prevent the start of this is 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 unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, I think if I'm being honest with you, it's it, uh, we've learned an awful lot about people, about clubs, about priorities, about what people are prepared to do. Uh, about what they're prepared to sacrifice, you know, for self-interest. That's that's the huge eye eye opener for me. I mean, you and I are the same, Philip. We grew up, Dame. I'm sure you're the same. We grew up playing. We grew up. I mean, I miss the game. I miss watching it. Um, I can understand that there's there's lads desperate down there to avoid relegation, but all of these fake uh, morality issues are just that. They're just that. They're just, as you say, Philip, <laughs> complete white elephants. For me. You know, nobody has a problem with the amount of money that's thrown uh, thrown around football when it's thrown around on a on a player that that they like or that they want brought into the mm. club. All of a sudden, you know, people are talking about oh, football as a business, as if it's a surprise. Newsflash, lads! Football has a has been a business since way back in the day when Jimmy Hill decided that no footballer should have to sit down and talk about a maximum wage. Football has been a business for decades decades arguably centuries i mean there's a there's a netflix um series on now about the origins of football going way back to the the end of the the 19th century it was a business then it's a business now newsflash lads it ain't gonna go away yeah um look I don't think there's any way to get to get away from the, the season restart because I think there's just too much money involved in the Premier League, right? And the idea of, of clubs having to refund um, uh, TV money and stuff like that will probably push an awful lot close to, to breaking. Like if, the risk of going down where you still have parachute payments in the championships to keep your club afloat and to keep your club going is less than if you have to refund 70, 80 million in TV money and all of a sudden your revenue is half by 60, 70%. Do you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> so... Let's go, lads, on this. Damo, when do you think we kick off again in the Premier League? When, when? Um, I would reckon within three to four weeks. Um, so if they're back in training tomorrow, and look at it, put it this way, you can see the lads online, they, they've all been keeping fit anyway. It could even happen quicker than quicker than that. Like, they would be looking at the fitness levels over the next week or two, and they could just go straight in the games um, and probably knocking out three games a week. That, that, that's what I said. Um, yeah, well, realistically, I think three to four weeks, but with a possibility of, of of being in two. Okay, I think that I think nineteenth of June for me. That they, they they've usually been a week to two max behind all of the target stuff. To be honest, I, I, for some reason I've got nineteenth of June in my head. It's supposed to be the twelfth, so I'm going to say we're going to see the first game nineteenth of June. Nineteenth of June, oh, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think it is, and lads, there's no, there's no season curtailment. So, well, what date do we win the league on? That day. That I day, yeah. We win. We win. City lose. <laughs> we win that. We win the league, and I'm, I'm, and I think there'll be a lot of Liverpool fans for the banter, and they're starting already going online uh, looking for everything to be cancelled. Now you can cancel it, and then getting on the Champions League campaign saying, "Oh, please cancel that," because I Can't tell you, there's, there's, there's been an awful lot of mileage. I mean, these lads, 
they know the City fans, Man United fans, Chelsea fans, they know that the, the league's not going to be null and voided, but they're just enjoying getting getting a rise out of out of Liverpool. I mean, the health brigade, I'll tell you one thing, and you'll probably agree with me here, Floody, the, the World Health Organization or the NHS, they won't be short of uh, volunteers because there's all sorts of medical and uh, and uh, virologist experts out there offering their top their tuppence worth on on the likes of Twitter and Facebook. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think day one we win the league. <laughs> I, 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 I was talking to a lad earlier on, and we were talking about uh, when it was announced we were going back training, and you were saying, "Oh, everything, all the lads, all of a sudden took a fit of sneezing." I said, well, somebody must, have, somebody must have opened their trophy cabinet. And that was just the dust everywhere. <laughs> what do you think? Though, uh, like they, they, they've been trying to portray that the you know the fans will be there no matter what happens. The fans are going to turn up at the stadiums and stuff like this. Like now they didn't do it in Germany, and, and I wanted to just wrap this with with the whole German thing because I watched the Bundesliga myself at the weekend. I think everyone who who's interested in the football was wanted to see what it looks like. Now, my own thoughts on it were, you know, it's. Uh, initially on the Saturday, it was great just to see football back on the television, competitive football back on the television. It wasn't an old match and it wasn't reminiscent. It was it was it was genuine competitive football with, with an outcome that was coming out of it. It was only when I watched it on Sunday. I was watching Bayern Munich and uh, Union Berlin. Did the lack of a of an atmosphere start to really tell me right in, in terms of like they're going? Actually, this is a bit weird, you know. So I'm I'm just wondering, uh, Damo, from from your point of view, did, did it spoil or did it did, did it on your view of, of the game when you were watching it? Um, I was kind of a little bit sceptical of it before the game. And I think about 10, 15 minutes in, um, yeah, I wasn't feeling it. But I think after about 20 minutes, you actually start to enjoy the football side of it and just watching the game. Um, and you actually just you enjoy to just to watch the football side of it. And now I know the atmosphere isn't there um, with it, but listen... I haven't been watching Teddy in about eight weeks, so to to see a bit of football or something live uh, has been brilliant, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think after about fifteen twenty minutes, you, you kind of see past it, the, or you, you stop even worrying about the the, the fans or the, the stand that's there, you know. Mm. I think we lost Phil, have we? Possibly, I reckon he'll die back in. But I agree with you, Damo. For me, um, in fact, looking at the Dortmund game, which which is the Dortmund-Chalke game, which is their derby. Um, mm. I think it was a third goal, or the fourth goal, the lad, Guerrero, um, flicks it in with the outside of his left foot. Now, that's probably something that he doesn't try if there's forty or 50,000 people there. So, I mean, there's a lot of, again, <coughs> City fans, oh, the game is not the same without fans. I think there was a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of players trying things you know yourself, you played in that without the pressure. There's a lot of lads trying things, them coming off. There's a lot of nice things happening in, in the games. I mean, certainly that, that derby wouldn't have been 4-0. Yeah. It wouldn't well, have been 4-0. It wouldn't have been a, a tighter game. It's actually funny because I was watching the game with me, with me son and that's the one thing he turned around and said. He says, maybe a few of these lads are playing with the handbrake off here because they, they can. They, they haven't mm. got 20,000 people shouting for their blood. Like, you know what I mean? So, no, yeah. I totally agree. Like, like, totally. Some of the, the football Dortmund played was exceptional. Some of the things you don't, exactly. as you said, the, the, the fullback scores too. You know, like, yeah. in, and, and maybe in another derby game with the, the crowd behind, like, either in shouting and roaring, maybe they play a little bit with the handbrake on. So, you probably yeah, I mean, say from, for me, 
for me, if the lads that don't want to play, for example, Troy Deeney and that, you know, okay, bring in another lad, a young lad. You know, I'd like to see seven or eight lads that wouldn't have normally gotten a, a chance. Throw them in. You never know. This could be the making of of a few, a few very, very young lads, and hopefully a few of them are Irish. Happy days. You know, if you don't want to play, I've no problem with fellas that don't want to play. Stay at home. I, I, I still like seeing their instinct to look to the crowd or look for a reaction when they score or do something good, right? Because it's a bit like I, I saw some of the WWE there on over the weekend and um, obviously they're doing their shows with no crowds. So it's bizarre. It's it's completely bizarre, right? They're turning to talk to the crowd with a, with a, with a microphone and you're like, going, look, you can set up proper sets and stuff like this. You don't have to pretend that there's a crowd here. Like you can change your whole thing. You're you're a manufactured television program. You can do whatever you want with it. Like why why do you want to pretend that you still got crowds in the like it's bizarre? One thing I'm just going to say, right? Do you not think that some club is going to think? And I know Fox Sports are talking about doing this with the NFL, right? If there's no crowds and of of um using the baseline soundtracks that they have in the likes of um, FIFA and Pro Evo and pumping it into the stadiums to create an atmosphere for the players to be involved in or to allow the fans to go online to like a, a mass scale Zoom thing and actually, you know, the big screens they have in the in the, in the stadiums to allow the fans to watch the game, or to, to, to broadcast the fans so that there's an atmosphere in the ground of actual fans watching the game from, from their own partisan support. I thought that was an interesting take on, on how you could do it. Like, like obviously in, in the States where you have these jumbotrons that go around like the one in, at the Mercedes-Benz Arena in, in, in Atlanta where you have the jumbotron that goes right the way around the, 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 the stadium. Like you could literally put all the fans up on that and just have a huge atmosphere going on. Like, you know what I mean? So I just thought it was an interesting idea that they have. What they really should have done there, Phil, was was got Man City on board there, find out how they get atmosphere <laughs> at the end. Like, 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 what kind of sound they pump out for the dummies in the cardboard cutouts that they have up in the stands? They're still trying. They're, they're still trying to get the cassette recordings for of, of Main Road to bring them back out. If they, they haven't found it, they haven't I, found I always, it. I always think it. I always think it's hilarious at the end of their games and the the announcer announces the the amount of people that have turned up and it's just. The camera invariably pans around to these empty blue areas. I mean, it's it's brilliant. It really is really good. I think I think the best thing I've seen over the weekend was the football club that uh, went and bought a load of sex dolls and put them in the stand <laughs> in South and Korea. Them up. Yeah, yeah. You had to apologize. <laughs> Genius. I thought that's a great idea. To be fair, there's nothing wrong with that. Now, is there? Imagine what it was. Remember that episode of. Uh, Father's head? No, no, no. <laughs> only fields and horses. The sex dolls all were blown up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was probably happening up to the stand. It was like, oh, it's, it's going to blow up. Well, come I mean, you know the way the players were sitting up in, in their socially distanced seats on the bench where they are sort of miles away from each other, right? Um, surely that's a, a seating pattern that they could put like 10,000 or 15,000 fans into the stadium if they wanted to replicate it. Like if if it's safe for them to do it, we wouldn't be safe enough to put fans in. You know, I suppose it's the movement in and out, but at the same time, there has to be ways and means to to to, to move away from you can't gather. I know everyone's taking it slowly, slowly, but at some like if we look at what happens next season, assuming there is a next season that kicks off at the same time, like clubs will not be able. To, and this is across Europe and on all the leagues, they need match day revenue. You can't just keep relying on TV money because TV money won't be there if there's no fans there and there's no atmosphere because people won't want want to watch the games. The players look to the captain, the captain looks to the manager, and the manager looks to you. It's time to be heard. Pitch is the new app that gives football fans the voice you deserve. Get your views sent straight to media pundits, commentators, and the club you love. 
From dodgy penalties to rating match performance, make your opinion count. The manager's looking to sub him off, and the fans agree. Download the Pitch app for free today. Be heard. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Right, lads, I'm going to move it along to um, our main conversation of the evening. And having done and reviewed the, all the World Cups from um, 1986 through to 2010, before we started doing the podcast and covered all the World Cups live then after that as well, um, and then looked at the Euro 88 last week, we just kept, struck upon an idea just to change it around for the show. And this was to have a look back at who, in our opinion, was our bestest striker of the 90s right and i'm saying the bestest because you may not be people may disagree whether it's the greatest or not um and dave thomas was meant to be on this because his one was fristo stoichkov and i don't I, i'm gonna be honest right um i didn't follow stoichkov enough to be able to comment on whether i thought he was up there with my choice because i was too busy following my choices as opposed to, uh, to, to, to his one right but like from watching world cups watching barcelona in the time stoichkov was an absolute genius footballer and a smashing footballer but barcelona crazy. yeah crazy as a crazy as a madman uh, but like literally 200 shots in left right and center right knocked the head out of anyone that was messing around with him he was like a really bad tempered slatan without the conceitedness he was just incredibly arrogant you know what i mean yeah, um, Craig, Craig Bellamy on steroids. To be honest, you know, I mean, I remember, I remember Stoichkov from being a kid coming over here to me because I've been coming to Barcelona since I was twelve, and yeah, he was just a phenomenon. I mean, the the company that he kept in terms of the the players that he played with, you know, he's 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 revered like a god. I think he he learned Catalan as well as opposed to Spanish, so he's very much that of that Eastern European boys into the culture directly understands why he wanted to be here absolutely hates everything about madrid you know he's yeah he's he's all or nothing type of player but if you're on the other side of that you know the only thing i mean he's stone barking mad high achiever that great side that great bulgaria side of 94 that did okay in the united states i mean was just full of talent but nobody mm. nobody more talented than him an absolute one-off he scored an outrageous goal in, in USA 94 you know, that's, that's shot from about 400 yards out with the with the lighter ball and travelling through the air the way it did he was a smashing player earlier on and when he, you know somebody was talking about it, I was like okay I'll choose Les Ferdinand because we're obviously talking about the Premier League in the 90s because I, I was always dying for Liverpool to sign Ferdinand mm. of course we, we, I would have loved to sign Ferdinand in the 90s mm. like I thought when we signed Callie Moore um, mm. I thought like this is the sort of line we were going down. It, it was like who who can we play? Who can we sign that's similar to Ferdinand or maybe has a slightly better skill set? Well, the Collie Moore probably had a better skill set on an all round skill set, but obviously he had two footed, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of what's there, but like the, the leap that Ferdinand achieved. Was oh. just... I mean, I, I I spend a lot of time in the UK and I watched him towards the end of his career, and my Jesus, the type of centre forwards. I mean, not and he wasn't six foot. He was, you know, 5'11", 5'10", 5'11". Mm. My journey. For me, that's why I liked him. The league was different and it was it was something different to what we'd seen um, 
beforehand, right? Like it was something that we, we'd never seen as 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 football fans, and we'd never seen how a player could achieve that type of leap on the television so often. Like there was maybe glimpses of what Pele did in terms of a header against mm. Gordon Banks, but like this was he was continually beating guys who are six for four, six for five in the air, and he had no issues doing it. Like and he was powerful. He wasn't just he wasn't just a um, a skinny. Yalanki fella, he was a powerhouse in terms of a centre forward. However, he wasn't that prolific and he was a perfect foil for Shear. I know when, when Damo comes back in, he can talk about Shear, but he's a perfect foil. And again, for me, where <clears throat> um, Ferdinand doesn't achieve this or isn't able to achieve this is because he never takes his game to the next level. He never mm. achieves anything across the 90s. He's well, the injuries part, killed him. Mm. Well, he's always part of great sides. But great sides that don't win anything, right? Mm. And it's why when I was thinking about this, and I th- like I think Battistuta is a far superior forward to Ferdinand, right? But on an international level, Battistuta is in the same category as Ferdinand because he does he he sticks with Fiorentina and shows so much loyalty and so much perseverance to try win a trophy with Fiorentina. Has the statue made from scores over three hundred goals with Fiorentina, you know. Is a absolutely absolute legend there. Amazing for Argentina in the in the ninety four World Cup. Amazing in terms of what what he was trying to achieve. But again, wins nothing. There's no trophies behind his name. See, I think I think he went to Roma towards the end of his career and won Serie A. He, he did. He did. That was it. Yeah. And, and that was it. But like again, for everything he did, he didn't deliver the trophies. And it's a bit like when you're talking about the best of right. It's how have they elevated themselves and elevated the team around them? Like that to me is always how have they elevated. If you go to say who's the best of all time, right? Well, what have they done to truly elevate their teams and elevate themselves to a different plane to everything else that's around them? Because there's so many good strikers. Like if you were talking about, if you're talking about this in the eighties and you look at the, the names, I'm going to throw out my name in a minute in terms of who I believe was the best striker in the nineties. And he only sneaks into it, right? But again, I think I've got a strong rationale for for, for choosing him. But I looked at it. I, I also considered Figo, but Figo wasn't really a striker, and he played through the, the Nazis. I was considering Michael Laudrup, but again, he's more of an attacking midfielder than a, than a forward. He wins the three um, the Liga titles in uh, with Barcelona, and then goes sorry four, and then goes to uh, Real Madrid and wins a fifth. Mm-hmm. So he, he not only does he cross the divide from Barcelona to Real Madrid, he also maintains the the Liga trophy as well. Um, he achieves. Funnily enough, he doesn't make, play in the '92 um, European Championships. If he plays in the '92 European Championships and wins that, that along with what he achieved at club level with Real Madrid and Barcelona, that along with what he achieves when he plays for the in '98, which is his last, he announces his retirement after that tournament um, as a Danish footballer, and, and, and up to that game against the, the Brazilian game in the, in the quarterfinals in '98, you would take him. And I obviously thought he's he's one of the best attacking midfielders slash sort of support strikers um, of the last 20 years. But he's just, again, he's just missing that. And when you then compare him to his peers that you're going to compare him against, it's very hard to put him up there. Now, lads that aren't, that we haven't, that don't jump off your tongue straight away or, or don't come to mind straight away is Romario. Romario yeah, is... The best finish. Of all of them finishing ways, he's the best. I mean, you're mm-hmm. talking about, don't get me wrong, the, the my choice... I would argue that is even stronger. But in terms of, I always found with Romario, it's almost like he was taking the piss. You know, mm-hmm. it, there'd be a very simple finish on, and then he would do something to absolutely humiliate whoever he was playing against. Yeah. It, it was almost, it was just fun for him. It was fun. Not a particularly fit lad, you know, not a particularly disciplined lad, but 
you know, just seeing, I, I see I, Manchester United, seeing them play in that, um, one of the first World Club Championships. Do you remember when Romario had gone back to, or uh, Romario had gone back to Vasco da Gama? Hmm. And he absolutely, he, Gary Neville's a fine player and not no disrespect to him, but he made Gary Neville look like the proverbial pub player. Mm-hmm. He, re- he really, and this was the Manchester United that had absolutely cleaned up in Europe, but he made him look like a like a pub player. And that's, for me, just different. But again, Romario was a style of forward who would struggle to make it in the modern game, right? And again, oh, yeah. this, 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 when, when I'm looking at who was the greatest striker of the 90s, I'm looking at is there a player that can transcend the generations that would still be an effective, efficient forward in the modern game? Because My choice, again, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, and again, this is where I'm looking at saying, okay, who are they? Who are the special ones? Who are the ones that you could see playing in a team of the mid noughties, early teens, even up to now? Mm-hmm. And there is like you, you got you got to ask yourself, like where and who are they? So when I'll, I'll throw out some other names that that are worth a consideration and should be in the mix when we're talking about the best strikers of the nineties, right? Looking at Gianluca Vialli, right now. He he appears on the scene at the end of the eighties. He makes he plays in Euro eighty eight as well for for Italy. He plays through the nineties. He wins the Champions League with Juventus. He's um he's an incredibly gifted centre forward. And he f- finishes off his career at Chelsea as we, as we know. But he plays through the whole nineties period, and he's always one of those players that's there. You've got Roberto Baggio, who, yeah. but again, Baggio is a number ten, a classic number ten. And and for what we're talking about here today, and. <clears throat> um, I think what we want to what we want to talk about the, was the and centre forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the arrowhead. And I think Damo, when he gets back, he'll probably talk about the two shearers because for me, there's two very distinct Alan shearers. There's the pre-ligament damage shearer with the pace, and then there's the post-ligament damage, the one that had to adapt and was equally mm-hmm. as grateful. But like again, you've got in this in this period, you've also got Jean Pierre Papin. Everyone forgets about Papin. He was amazing for that Marseille team in the early nineties. He was the was the fulcrum to what goes on in that. And I think I think what a bit like the Battistu the thing, what he achieves greatness on the European stage and achieves greatness in playing for AC Milan and playing for Marseille at a club level. France failed terribly throughout the 90s and this is the last period where international football is relevant the, the Champions League isn't the competition it is now mm-hmm. but it is the la- it is a competition that's really that's only the champions of, of, of the leagues for primarily for throughout the 90s that, that's there um, it hasn't turned into this behemoth that it is today mm-hmm. so like you know we've got Badis, we've got a students ruled out as we talked about we've ruled out um Figo, Ferdinand. Yeah. Figo's been ruled out. We've ruled out Laudrup because he's not as Baggio. We're not considering again for the same reason as Laudrup and, and Figo that's in there. So the classic number 10s were saying, right, we'll keep that for a different show. So we're really looking at what is our strikers and Viali is one of them. You've also got um, Beppe Signori who's outrageously talented, but again, similar to Romario, but not at the same level as Romario. If you're going to have Beppe Signori, you've got to have Romario ahead of him, right? And if you're going to have Romario, then you're going to compare him to what it is. So, Damo, you were talking about Shearer. We ruled out Les Ferdinand as a strike partner, even though he was something very different. He wasn't prolific enough to be considered as as, as the best of the time. So, go on. Give us your run on Shearer. Yeah, like, I don't know how far I got in there before I was cut off. But, like, like for me, like if you look at it, like even today, Shearer still way ahead of anyone else in, in the Premier League era of the amount of goals he scored. And he scored them at a time when he he wasn't playing for the best teams. Like, 
what could he have done at a size like at a United or what would he have done at an Arsenal? Like he scored an outrageous amount of goals and like he's still way ahead of some of the best footballers we've ever seen grace the Premier League um as strikers. And he's way ahead of them. Um in that kind of period, he also had two career um threatening injuries. Um and he missed a huge chunk of football in that period of time as well. And we've got to remember that he played a period outside the Premier League, and none of them goals get accounted either. There's another there's another 20 odd goals that he, yes, he would have there. Now he's He's the type of player you probably see less and less in nowadays, and and he's the type of player I hate playing against because you play with me, Phil. I like a bit of needle, um, like I, I, I like to give a bit of needle or like to put a, a decent, hefty challenge in. I hate it when I got a striker who gave it back to me, and and that's what Shearer done. He was like the the absolute battering ram of of a centre forward. He ran in behind. He was good in the air. He was good to feet. He, he was literally unplayable on his day. And I think I always remember watching the game um, as the year he won the title and he absolutely batters Pallister and Bruce, destroys them. Um, he just couldn't play the man. I think the goal he gets where it's knocked over the top and he, he just outpaces, outmuscles, he's just strength and he buries it. Um, like, if I was, phase if I was one Shearer, Damo. That's phase it, one Shearer. Yeah, it's phase one Shearer. That's where he's running in behind, he's running channels, he's putting his... He's given a little bit. And and then, like most strikers, how do you reinvent yourself when your pace starts to go a little bit? Um, and that's where you always say, like, the likes of Michael Owen, who relied on his pace. And then, as he gets to an older, when the pace starts to wane, he can't reinvent himself as that much then. Where Shearer is able to do that. He's able to get that player where he can hold it up and go in behind because he's intelligent enough as well. He, I don't think he's given enough credit for being an intelligent footballer. Um, everyone sees him as just a, a, an absolute battering ram. Um, but like his, his record itself is second to none in terms of goal scored and assists. Playing for teams that wouldn't have been kind of deemed a top top side, although Newcastle were good at the time when he played with them, like he still would have been a, a kind of third or fourth place team, or maybe even less. And like his goal scoring record is phenomenal um, for both sides. I think as we would used that laughing straight earlier on, Phil, about it, he, said, he has no medals. Like we're going to start looking at medals, like as I said, actually, General John O'Shea and Wes Brown would be classed as the two best fullbacks the world has ever seen. You know, so. do you not think though? Do you not think though, Damo, had Alan Shearer signed for, let's say, at the time of Manchester United or even in Arsenal, that he would have been shared? And for example, you look at Manchester United; they always had four strikers, didn't they? They'd, they'd sharing him and Solskjaer, they'd York and Cole, and you would have been shared in those goals among three or four competitions that you're going for. Do you not think he, he was aware of that at the time and just didn't fancy that? Do you not think he was thinking of himself a little bit and his own legacy rather than trophies and, and wanted to end his career you know, with his name and lights with all of these goals? Do you not think it's a little bit... you know, I, I'll be cynical when it comes to you. Not down his talent, but I'll be more cynical about his mentality. I don't know. Like You could always say that... like. He's the typical Roy Rovers. Like he's he's like a Stephen Gerrard. He's still at Liverpool when he could have gone elsewhere, you know. And like it, that that's he always said all he ever wanted to do was play for Newcastle. He, like he played in the streets. That's all he ever wanted to do was was go there. Um, like when he he had the opportunity to go to United when he went to Blackburn, um, and that was at the time when United played one up top. They had Mark Hughes. Uh, that type of they didn't play two up top at that time. They kind of that developed later. 
Um, so he could have went in there and slotted in quite easily and taken over from the Mark Hughes. Um, I, I, I just think you can't argue with his record. Um, like we're, like we've gone through, like we've had Thierry Henry, Robbie Fowler, and Michael Owens. We've had some serious strikers in the Premier League, and a lot of them are nowhere near the man. Um, mm. So the, to me, his legacy of the amount of goals he hasn't been still kind of the the top goal scorer in Premier League history at the moment. Um, like how how do you argue with that in in supposedly the best the best league in the world? The only no. argument, the only argument I'd give you, Damo, and, and no doubt, I'm not comparing the two players. I'm more comparing the decisions. Look at Andy Cole, for example. Andy Cole, when he went to Manchester United, he knew he knew what he was going into. He left for the reasons that Shearer, in my opinion, didn't leave for. And even if you look at what Alex Ferguson did to his game, he changed his game completely. He probably took 10, 15, almost 20 goals a season off Andy Cole's game, partnered him, uh, partnered him up with the likes of Dwight York. I, even the, Andy Cole had a fantastic understanding with Teddy Sheringham as well, even though the two of them hated each other's guts. I just think he made a braver decision. Andy Cole would probably, had he stayed with Newcastle, would probably score 300, 350 goals, but he wouldn't have had any trophies. I just think, again, Shearer made that decision. That Well, Andy Cole made that decision that Alan Shearer didn't. I, just, I would have more respect for Andy Cole. Where I would start to counter Damo's opinion on this is that Shearer himself um, played at the two top clubs outside of United throughout the 90s. He won the league at Blackburn Rovers and where they spent millions to put themselves in a position where they could win the Premier League title. He won one and finished runners-up in, in, in the other one. He then moved to Newcastle. And that was the Bobby Robson Newcastle era. It was the Kevin Keegan Newcastle era. Again, they were the main challengers to United's um, trophy trophy challenge at that stage. And it was only until the end of the 90s, until Arsenal appears. But up until then, it was it was Newcastle and, and Man United going head to head. Like, think about the Kevin Keegan rant and all that type of stuff. That's throughout Shearer's <clears throat> prime of his career. Shearer's greatest time is probably at the end of his Rovers stint and starting at Newcastle in 96, which again is the closest England have got to winning a major tournament. Um, mm. and that was probably his best international tournament. It was Euro 96 when him and Sheringham partnered each other in, in, in that tournament itself. Um, and while he is a great English striker, my argument would be he scored 283 goals in 559 games. And that's not amazing. That isn't amazing for the 90s. For the for the guys that... Well, I'll put, I'll put my, my... I'm going to throw my hat into the ring now here, right? So my choice for the best striker of the 90s um, could also have been the best striker of the 80s in, and it's Marco van Basten and he scores two, he scores 218 goals in 280 career games and he gets in I, I'm able to pick him in the 90s because he doesn't retire until 1995 even though he effectively was retired at the end of 1994 when, his, when he had to face a toward ankle surgery how many, but again, how, many, how many of them goals Phil came when you played in Holland when Dirk Kuyt scored about 4 million goals in, in Holland as well you know? yeah, but, <laughs> but, but Damo does, like, this is at a time when Ajax is winning European trophies so yeah. like like it's it's a it, football is very different then, and I'd say to you as well on that England wasn't the best league in the nineties. It, it was the Italian league wasn't was even it wasn't even the tour best. To be honest, Spain <laughs> no. was better, Italy was better. It's arguable it was probably nip, nip and tuck with with the Netherlands, as you say, because PSV were winning European trophies. It's you only, know, yeah, it's, only it's it's when United made the breakthrough at the end of the nineties. That's when English football starts to come again, having missed out for the best part of ten fifteen years uh, as a result of of, of the Heysel time, but like. When you say that, Damo, like he's he scores, you know he's he's 
<clears throat> his goal record is outrageous for a guy who's who only played 147 games for Milan. He scores in 90 of them. You know what I mean? He scored 128 goals in 123 games for Ajax. He's he wins three European Cups. He wins the Euro 88s for Holland, the only major trophy Holland has ever won. Mm. Um, he wins the Ballon d'Or for three. He's a Ballon d'Or winner three years in a row. And his run in 1993 for Milan to the final and when they win the final with, with Kluivert um, himself and Ruud Hullet is just, it's one of the best runs. And he also scores outrageous goals. He's, he's like, when I look, think of who was a striker that you could pick up from that time period and put into a team now, Van Basten is one of the few that you can do it. He had the touch. It wasn't all about um, power. It was about, he had pace. He had incredible pace to Bourne. His touch was phenomenal. He's, there's a goal out there if, if people go and watch it, and it's not the Den Bosch, that's not the Den Bosch overhead goal. It's ridiculous. He scores a goal against Volendam where he cuts inside about three different players um, and just like dropping the shoulder, going to go, showing outside and coming back inside. And he goes to unleash an absolute blemmer into the top corner and you can see the goalkeeper going line up for it. and as the goalkeeper gets to line up he just changes his stride and just chips him he chips him from 22 yards and the keeper can't move his feet he can't move his feet quickly enough because you know yourself Damo, when, you're, when you're getting your feet set to get ready for a dive yeah. he's gone he's gone at that point and it just it, the finish is outrageous but he also was able to drill a ball harder than anyone has seen him drill a ball until Gerard comes along and that's mm an amazing thing to do in the 80s and in the 90s because those balls, they don't change the composition of the balls until um, USA 94. So it's like, it, to me, and I'm, I'm waiting for, for Pete's one, but like to me, Van Basten is untouchable as the best striker of the 90s. Um, but I know he, we're going to have a good row over this one. But I think I get, I, I get the sheer viewpoint. I understand it from a very... Premiership focused and specific view. If you're watching the Premiership in the 90s, Shearer is the outstanding striker of that generation, and he is the outstanding striker in the league. And for that reason, I can I can get on board why you would have him in this conversation because he does win a t- win a Premier League title in a very unfashionable team, even if it was managed by Kenny Dalglish, even if it was heavily invested to get them there. But he scores a lot of goals and a lot of important goals as well, and I can understand it. But for me, from Baston's head and shoulders above. Anything Shearer produced across the course of his career, and he also played the time when it was legal to basically attack your opponent. Like he, his career is finished because Basil Bowley focuses uh, when he in the comeback game against I think it's Ancona. Bowley goes in over the top and takes him out on the ankle that he's just had surgery on. Like this is this, and and he wasn't even sent off. He didn't even get a book. Of they finished him. They finished him. Finished him. But I I I I I'd agree with you, Shearer Van Basten over Shearer for that reason. <coughs> Van Basten challenged himself. You know, you know, you're, you're the point you made about the the the, the Netherlands and the league. You know, it was nip and tuck, and it was a strong. I mean, Ruud Hullet stayed there. He, he wasn't a kid leaving. Players, good players, stayed there longer. You know, they went there as a reward of consistent performance. They went to Italy and Spain as, as a reward for consistent performance in the Netherlands. But you know, I, I think Van Basten challenged himself. He went to AC Milan, the top at the time, the top club side in the world, the most heavily financed side, to challenge himself against the likes of Juventus and in Europe. So, for me, that's why it's it's Van Basten over Shearer. I just I look at Shearer and I think you're not challenging yourself. You're going to these clubs to be the big fish. He wanted to be Jackie Milbourne. Jackie Bil- Bilbon was famous not for winning trophies but for being Mr. Newcastle. So that's just for me why it's Van Basten over here. So one one name we haven't mentioned, Georgie Weah, of course, replaces Van Basten, right? He scores 100 plus goals, is now the president of Liberia. Um, <laughs> but 
is his legacy damaged because, again, he he ends up in an AC Milan side that wins nothing for a long time, doesn't win a European, doesn't win a European title, is second best Juventus in the, in Serie A for for most of that time period. You've also got the Parma side which emerges with Buffon and Cannavaro etc. around there, and it's really a fallow period for AC Milan before they get to the back end of the nineties when Wea had now become a bit part figure in it, and of course Liberia's best claim to fame in this period, even though it's an incredibly small country in terms of football and abilities in terms of what's there, he only managed to qualify them for two African Nations Cup, which in Liberia is a, is a huge deal. But again, I come back to it, international stage, elevating to the next level and achieving something which is which can't be touched again in, in terms of what it is. So for me, Georgie Weah is in that bracket with Romario, with Batistuta, with... Um, for me, Shearer's in there. Shearer, yeah, you got to. Yeah. I was going to say you got to say Shearer. <clears throat> yeah, I'd, I'd have, I'd have Fowler in that level as well because Fowler, again, elevates Liverpool's play. Um, him and McManaman are just off the charts good in the nineties, and people should really go back and watch the two of them play. But um, we've but got Bob just, Scales and Ruddock at the other end of the park making yeah. things impossible. And, you know? and again, it's 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 not that elevation that we talk about about going to the next level by finding the way to get there. So, Pete, give me your counter. Only one name for me, and it's for the reason, one of the reasons that you uh, kind of mentioned earlier on about transcending decades and styles of play is the original Ronaldo. Do you, mm. I mean, forget about the goals. I mean, we'll talk about the one-on-one phenomenon that he was, you know, uh, in, in so far as every time he was one-on-one with a goalkeeper, it was, you know, you you were a goalkeeper, Phil. You know, you it was dizzy time. It was just, how is he going to end up in his arse? Because he's going to end up in his arse. But for me, the pace, the power, the fee, you know, it was, for me, Ronaldo is the original video game football. It's a bit like Michael Jordan in basketball. You know, it's it's the guy that's not only elevating his team, his teammate, he's elevating the sport. He's making the sport sexy, attractive, and by the way, winning while he's doing it. I mean, it's it's tough enough to get out of Brazil with talent, but to to go to PSV, the numbers stack up. You know, I think he's he's one of the four strikers that I'd seen in that modern period when we were growing up in the nineties. To not you know get a goal every two games, it was a goal a game, sometimes even more, and certainly more in the Netherlands for PSV. And I was very partial to. to uh, to Bobby Robson as a manager. And again, Bobby Robson swears by you, you've got to have talent. This is a guy who didn't get it wrong. And, you know, and, you know, Damon will argue the same for Alan Shearer. But again, you know, leaving, leaving PSV go to go to Barcelona, a very ordinary Barcelona time uh, team at the time. Barcelona kind of struggling. They had lost players, you know, some, some really, really good players. You know, and he's come in there, and he's you know he's playing with the likes of Luis Enrique, who, who are looking at him thinking this fella is next level. You know, straight off the bat, you know I, I think he's scored for forty seven and something like forty five or forty six games. He's lost a bit of his career towards the end of the nineties with, with again for the same reason as Marco van Basten getting absolutely battered. And let's face it, he he didn't have the best lifestyle either to go with. But for me, pound for pound. And not just playing off the shoulder, you know, picking the ball up 40 and 50 yards from goal, taking on two and three players. This is the year before Messi. Messi normalised that. Cristiano Ronaldo normalised beating two and three players. 
people hadn't seen that for decades. This is a guy who could have played in any era for any team and made a mm-hmm. difference. Again, right. So I look at this and I say to myself, this is this is really a hard comparison because both players do so many things very similarly. Um, uh, the only key difference is Ronaldo appears just as football goes 24-7. Ronaldo appears just as people watch football a lot more and get to see a lot more football than they have up until now. His appearance, like if you think he, his emergence through 94, 95, 96, 97, mm. 98, the 98 World Cup, the Nike video, the what what happens in the changing room, the you know, all the stories and the thing. He was at the time the world's greatest player. He was playing for Real Madrid. He was playing for Inter Milan. He was playing in these joint clubs that we were talking about, which were at the top of their game, which were attempting to win the European trophies, the Champions Leagues, the, all that type of stuff. He's playing for Barcelona. He's played for PSV. These are all key teams that see what's going on. Like the gas team with Barcelona, he's only there for one season. He plays one yeah. season before. He goes in a world record move to Inter Milan just before the 1998 World Cup. Um, and, you know, this guy is is a freak. Uh, people forget he, he's only 43. You know, there's, there's, there's still some footballers, professional footballers out there that are very close to being 43 and, and are still playing. Like he was born, he was born a year before me. Like that's when I look at it, I go, wow. You know what I mean? yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, he's, he's incredible. He's amazing to watch. When you look back, you, I, I get you. He could fit in the modern game. He plays so like a Mane, so like a combination of Luis Suarez and Mane and all these amazing players that are there. From day one, like there's no, there's no uh, transcendence. There's no um, graduality. There's no, it's just, he comes in, he hits the ground runner. Mm. I can't think, I can't think of anybody, anybody in the game, even Cristiano Ronaldo, even Messi had that bedding in period where he's a tiny little kid with a few tricks up his sleeve, but you batter him in the corner. This is a fella's come in at 17, been brought to the 94 World Cup by the best team on the planet. Now, he doesn't play a minute, I don't think, in the 94 World Cup, but people are aware of him. You know, the cafus of this world are aware of who he is. And he's there for a reason that if, if they need to turn to him, if they don't have Romario and they don't have Bebeto pulling off miracles like they did in 94, they can turn to a kid like this. This is a, fun, they call him Il Phenomeno for a reason. I mean, he's an absolute, here he is, 16, 17 years old, let him play. And by the way, he's going to, he will score. I mean, what, what amazes me though about him and Van Basten is the, the so few amount of games that they actually play across their career. When you think about it, his career spans from 93 until 2011. He only plays 343 games in yeah. that period. And that's nearly 20 years. Mm. You know, when you look at his time, his time at Inter Milan is destroyed because of the 1988, the 98 World Cup and then the knee injury. But people forget, like Shearer, he had a devastating injury, which people thought he'd never come back from. It was a knee tendon injury that people never thought he was going to come back from. And his World Cup in 2002 was was a, it was a rebirth from like it was it was it, he'd lost that explosive pace but he'd gotten so powerful in the way he played it was it was a completely different type of Ronaldo that that emerged from that point he became a true focal point his time at Real Madrid is 
sensational to watch back. It's his longest period in terms of who he was playing for, and it's his most number of games for a single club over over his his his, his whole career. But he scores eighty three goals in one hundred and twenty seven games. You know that's 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 a, some return when he's at Inter Milan. He scores forty nine goals in sixty eight games. When he's at Barcelona, he gets thirty four and thirty seven. He's putting up numbers that until Messi and Ronaldo appears had never been seen outside of my man Van Basten. You know, yeah. like again, it, 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 he's doing things that are completely different and is probably taking it on again. Like I, I, I could, I could easily. About it and say, yeah, I'll I'll give Ronaldo the edge on Van Basten, but I I won't because for me, Ronaldo's game, Ronaldo gets to play the game he plays because of the things that both Maradona and Van Basten do in terms of being able to run at players and it changes the way the game is refereed, right? The, The attack on Van Basten in a nutshell leads to real changes because it leads down the attacker from behind gets from behind. Yeah. yeah, and that allows Ronaldo to play the game the way he's able to play. Yeah, play I mean, you you remember when we were kids, you we were watching a game and you're seeing it. For example, if the Republic of Ireland were playing against, we'll say, a Belgium, and Enzo Schifo's picked up the ball deep, you know he's not going to have the ball for more than three or four seconds before somebody comes in and just wipes him out. And that's accepted yeah. and acceptable. You've got to do that six or seven times before somebody flashes a yellow card at you. Do that that's today it. once. And you're walking. It's that simple. And it's you're right. It's because of the likes of Van Basten. And you're you're right. Van Basten. I don't think I ever seen him take more than five or six steps with the football at his feet. Mm. It was about no. It was one of those players knowing where to be. And the most phenomenal thing about him, and I said this on one of the previous shows, is that split second technique that he has of the ball coming over his shoulder. I know as a former centre forward, that ball's coming over your shoulder. It's not even a second. It's timing, it's looking behind you while constantly trying to remember what's in front of you and to hit a force. He made a career out of that. Mm. Made a career out of that split second. That goal against the greatest goalkeeper in the world at the time, in the in the only the final of the only tournament they won, that's a phenomenal goal for about five or six reasons. And you know, I, I, different you're right different class I have to say different finishing wise you know different gravy the guy is is but again these are the two best and I, I i will stand up and say there is nobody that touches either of these and they and they bookend the 90s and i think it's a very fitting way to look at the 90s as a, at, and look at the strikers through the 90s i know we haven't covered off some of the guys we haven't talked about zamorano we haven't talked about putraguenio we haven't talked about hugo sanchez we haven't talked about guys again who are that level just beneath them but there's a reason for it because you have two strikers one at the start of the 90s and one at the end of the 90s that are so different to anything that comes along until we get to where we are with the progression of the game as it is. Like if you look at Karim Benzema, he is almost a, another copy of the Ronaldo style centre forward. And only the game changes again on the back of what Messi and Ronaldo can do. They allow the likes of a Suarez to then appear because mm. Suarez to me is like, he's got that devil in him. He's got what we talked about, Stoichkov. He takes the Stoichkov and he takes the ability to run with the ball like Ronaldo had and changes the way centre-forwards play because he likes to drop off and do whatever he wants to do. Well, the streets, you know, you you talked about Ivan Zamorano earlier on. The streets make guys like Suarez and made guys like Zamorano. I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, guys like Edinson Cavani, for example. You know that these guys haven't had nothing. 
mm. nothing, you know, growing up, and that every every inch that they they get on that football pitch when they're playing with their back to the goal, getting as as Damo would tell you earlier on, as a former hard man, send up send the back, pumping the back off them, knees mm. up, you know, doing whatever they can. You know that these guys like well, that's what I like about Suarez. Now, Suarez is a shit house. And when you're playing against them, it's it's hell on earth. But you fella like that with you, hundred percent. You you won't you you won't with you at all times. But that, as you say, that type of thing is dying off now. It's dying off, and it's a shame. It's a shame to be honest. It's a shame. But again, Pete, again, and I think we have a draw on this. To be totally frank, right? Because they bookend the nineties in terms of what they are. You look at what how football progresses now into the noughties you look at the strikers that emerge at the end of the 90s that will become the strikers of the noughties let's say right mm-hmm. you look at Ronaldinho little Ronaldo because of the way he played and the way he dribbled right you look at Thierry Henry you look at Trezeguet all graceful strikers and that grace and beauty in the way they play is a throwback to the way Marco van Basten played the game it wasn't blunderbust it was that grace and beauty that they brought to the centre forward play the way they're able to run move torn twist and involve other players around them it was very different to how it was and these are how these players progress onwards and it's like if you go back from Van Basten you go back to the previous went back to the 80s it would be a very interesting conversation to have around the centre forwards to see the progression that we've seen because we end up where we are today where we don't even have traditional number nines in the main anymore. We have this hybrid where 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 it's not even wingers anymore. It's these attackers that appear from nowhere. The, the, the Louis Figo thing was a true out because he's almost the force of these hybrid attackers where he's not a true winger. You're right. He's absolute prototype. I look at Figo. Now I'm talking about prime Figo, probably before the Real Madrid move, the hungry Figo, where he's he's coming inside and he's switching outside. It's like if you watch Sadio Mane, I don't know what way he's going to go. What, what gives what gives Mane for me the edge over Salah is that unpredictability. Now I'm not comparing him to Figo to prime Figo, you know, at all. But that it's that he's just as effective inside as he is on the outside. So you look, it's a fight. If I'm a centre-back, centre I'm passing him on. I don't want to know because he's in that area of uncertainty, as a centre-back will tell you. Is he a full-back responsibility? Is he a centre-half responsibility? Do I need to call in a defensive midfielder to look after? It's just a nightmare. And Figo, you're dead right, is the uh, the prototype of that type of player. You know, what is he? Right, I think the only way we can resolve this is tomorrow we'll throw up a poll, right? We'll throw up, we'll have Shearer, We'll have Van Basten, we'll have Ronaldo, and we'll put in A another, right? To see if anybody comes back with a better show for who is the best striker in the 90s and let the people decide what it is. <laughs> right, I'm going to wrap this. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we might do strikers in the 90s. This could, be, uh, this could be something to keep us going until we get the, the, game, the game back on properly. Right. Um, Join him. That was it. That's the club for, for, for this week. Um, big thanks to Pete and to Damo for being on. Um, on a couple of occasions that he did appear on the show uh, the lads are back tomorrow Gavin's back tomorrow with a daily show Keith's back in on Wednesday and um, I think the lads have something else on Thursday and Friday hopefully have a clear idea of when the Premier League is going to restart um, I hope you enjoyed our look back at the 90s and we will be back again next week um, and I think we probably will we, will we look at either do you know what we'll do we go with the best number 10 in the 90s so we can start bringing in those conversations around Loudrup and Baggio and, and all the lads that, that were there knocking around Okay, so that's it. Um, that's been the club um, that, in association with the Pittsburgh Football App. And I've been your host, Phil Casey. Thanks for listening. Attention Social Security and SSI recipients. If you did not receive an economic impact payment for your eligible spouse or dependents, 
you may need to file a 2020 tax return with the IRS and claim the recovery rebate credit. Go to ssa.gov EIP to see if you need to file a tax return and if eligible for other refundable tax credits, like the child tax credit. That's ssa.gov EIP. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. Hey, imagine if all your frustrations about advertising your business could be solved right now. You should know that podcast listeners are more engaged in higher converting than any other advertising medium. So try AdHub today and reap the rewards of Spreaker's self-advertising platform. It makes it as effortless as ever to be heard by thousands, regardless of the listening app they use. Visit Spreaker.com forward slash AdHub. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com forward slash AdHub. And start using your advertising dollars in an impactful way. Sports Social Podcast Network.